I'm not a huge fan of roller coasters or log rides or any of those things, but there's that moment of going up the hill, and you just know this is going to happen. This is real. This is this any second now, and then uh, and then it's all downhill, literally from there. Um, kind of how it feels coming forward. <laughs> this is really happening. I'm supposed to be preaching today, um, so just just pray for me. I, I always feel like there's things that I should have said and things I should not have said. Uh, at the end of it, when I become my own words, worst critic. So uh, we're going to get through this. We're gonna, it's all downhill from here, guys. <laughs> and, I, and I can guarantee you this, providing that church gets out at 1 o'clock, I'm going to get it done early. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll put it that way. I'll let you know a little secret of motivational speakers, of preachers, of salespeople, anything like that. Well, maybe not salespeople, but um, when they speak, they have some goals that they set out. Whether they think about those goals or not, they have these goals. And some of the goals are... Um, what seems right to the Lord, right? Uh, they want to glorify God. They want to uh, they want to look reflect upon what God has been saying to me. What I want to share with you some neat things that the Lord has been sharing with me in my quiet times, or something that through my prayer times or in conversations. I want to do that, and and I want to. I definitely want to preach on something that's relevant. Um, I don't want to talk to you about the worship styles of the 1800s because that's not relevant to us. We, words are maybe, but the, what they do with their hands and all that, it's not relevant. Why, why preach on something like that? It's not biblical even, it's just not relevant. But there is something that's a secret motivation, I think, out of every person that's up here. At least I would think, because it's a huge secret motivation for me. If you're a fan of testimonies, like uh, unshackled or, or just reading through some testimonies, there's usually some common elements, right? People have come from a good family. They've made some wrong decisions. They have consequences to those decisions. They hit rock bottom. They're on a slide down. Somebody inevitably invents them to a, or invites them to a church service. And then that moment happens when the person goes, that preacher knew me. He knew what I was going through. It was like he was speaking to me out of everybody in the crowd. He was speaking to me because there was that moment where God took the opportunity of a frail, faulty human to speak through into a heart that needed to be touched. And if you've ever occupied the space up here, I would think that's your goal. I don't want to just speak to occupy time. This isn't a Sunday drama. I want to be able to be a channel for the Lord to convict, to encourage, to challenge, and, and, and not just occupy time. So that, that is one of my goals. I, I am looking for an aha moment for someone in this crowd. I was reading of a testimony, speaking of testimonies, just the other day uh, in my quiet times, I was reading this little devotional thing, and, um, and I was reading this, uh, this testimony of a world leader. This man was on top of the world. Most important country, most uh, powerful country in the area. He was a world leader, and he had one of these aha moments. But instead of going to the preacher, the preacher came to him. If you want to read with me, it's Second Samuel chapter twelve. Second Samuel chapter twelve. One of these coveted aha moments. Then the Lord sent Nathan to to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man uh, had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except for one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take of his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfarer man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who had done this shall die. And he shall restore fourfold of the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You 
are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives unto your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Anon. You are the man. Or in the King James, you art the man. That, by the way, is the title of this sermon. You art the man. There is a moment that comes when Almighty God takes the time to address only one person in a crowd. In this case, there was only one person in the crowd. But it happens that God takes the time to say, I want to speak to this person. But here's the really neat thing. God is omnipresent. That means there could be a whole room full of one people here today. God could speak to each of our hearts, including me, something very specific, honed and crafted to change, reveal, motivate. God can do that today. And that's my goal in preaching. And it's, this is not a new thing that God would affect a crowd. In the 1830-ish area, Spurgeon once said this, You will bear me witness that it was a personal call that brought you to the Savior. It was some sermon that led you feel that you were no doubt the person intended. The text, perhaps, was, Thou God, thou God seest me. And the the minister laid particular stress on the word me, so that you thought God's eyes were fixed upon you. And ere the sermon was concluded, you thought you saw God open the books to condemn you. And your heart whispered, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? You might have been perched in a window or stood packed in the back aisle, but you had a solemn conviction that that sermon was preached to you and to no other person. No doubt this conviction that God saw your need and addressed you personally, despite everybody else in the room, has happened to you at least once. So Spurgeon was identifying that same thing and what I'm looking for here. God may have something to talk to you about today. Not your neighbor, not to your child, not to your wife, not to your husband. To you. God may have something to say to you. Let's look at David's life, though. In this account that we just read, he had sinned. And he was able to justify it. He swept it under the rug. It didn't happen because now it's all taken care of. He married the lady before the birth of the child. She no longer had her first husband. She was clear to remarry. Time to get on with the business of ruling the country. But there came a moment that he was confronted in his sin. No, there came a moment when he was confronted in his secret and his ability to cover. He was comfortable with the sin, it sounds like, publicly, but he wasn't comfortable with it being exposed. The moment when you realize that God really did see it, and he is not going to let you get away with it. A supernatural move to reveal your sin. See, I lived through that. I felt like I died through it. It was a painful discovery that my justification and self-assurednesses were only as strong as the secret remaining a secret. Did you hear that? I I felt I I could go on as normal as long as the secret was hidden. David sat on the throne, no doubt filled with disbelief that he had done such a thing. But since he did it so well, no one could find out. He could put that conviction aside and live as if it never happened. You are the man, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. You are the man. Think about it. Put yourself in that spot. Now, here it gets rough. Are you in that spot? Is there something going on in your life right now that has been so well covered, so well hidden, so well managed, that nobody knows about it? Have you so successfully got away with a secret that no one knows? Do you force yourself to believe that God doesn't care, that he will not supernaturally move to reveal it one day? Are you the man? Are you the woman? 
Am I? Here's the bigger question. Are you right now open to even hear you aren't the man or you aren't the woman? I'm not saying that God has revealed knowledge to me about anybody in this room. I'm not saying I'm going to have somebody stand up and say some beautiful word picture and then say thou art the person. But today I might share something that God has led me to say just to your heart. And are you ready? Let's assume that you're not in the place that David was. He knew in his heart that his uh, sin uh, was... He knew in his heart that his sin wasn't being repented of. He, he knew in the background. He may have managed things well. He may have looked good. He may have started doing... He even welcomed the prophet of God to come and speak because he had everything so well managed. But in his heart of hearts, he knew that there was something going on. And how do I know that? Look at his prayer of repentance. That isn't something that just sprung up. He was stewing on it. I've sinned. I've sinned. As long as nobody knows about it, I can just just meditate on this sin by myself. He, He says this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts. You will make known to me wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken will rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. I'm sure that in his own heart he was condemned. In his own heart, he felt that, that weight of that sin. Or else this prayer wouldn't sound like a, a pouring out of anguish of a broken dam, of an overfed lake. He, he was thinking about his sin. He came before the Lord. He says this, hide your face from my sins. He knew God was the one who saw it. Are you thinking about anything in your life right now that only God saw that you need to repent of. You need to let go of it. It might be that you're sitting here today, you're believing the same lie that David was listening to. You can do, you can have, you can think, whatever you want, with no boundaries, except the boundary that nobody else knows about it. As long as nobody else finds out about it. As long as the outside world doesn't find out, it's okay, it will all work out, it will be fine, and life can continue. But God says... And you don't need me to say the rest of that thought because if you have any relationship with the Holy Spirit, you know that God reveals sin. God loves you too much to let you just stew like David was stewing. You know, right now we could start that process and I I would just say, let's pause and truly pray these words that that David had in his repentance. He, He said this, let's just pray this as I read it. Create in me... A clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David and Bathsheba's situation is extreme. It doesn't have to be adultery that the Holy Spirit is talking to you about this morning. It doesn't have to be even a secret sin. It doesn't have to be something great and big. That is something, and I challenge you, from a man who's experienced the guilt of secret sin, I challenge you, if you've got something that happened 20 years ago and you think it's all over, get rid of it. Confess it. Don't let it fester. Don't let it be a foothold in the wall that God has put around your life from the devil. Don't let it be something the devil can climb up on. But let's, let's go to something else maybe you're dealing with. Maybe it's not some deep sin, some terrible thing that's happened. Let's, let's just get day to day here, will we? When Paul made a list of who should lead the local bodies of Christ, he gave a list in 1 Timothy. 
In essence, saying a leader should be able to demonstrate what a Christian looks like. I don't think, my personal theology about that list in Timothy is not, find a man who has all these qualities. I'm, I'm thinking what Paul was saying is, find a man who gets it. This is what a Christian should look like. This is what a Christian family should look like. This is what a man who follows God in his whole heart, these are the fruits that should be demonstrated in his life. I want people in the congregation to look up to somebody and say, he did it, I can. Listen to this list of what a Christian should look like on a day-to-day basis. It says in 1 Timothy 3.2, So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. Are you checking off how your life is? He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome. And he must uh, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must be a uh, must not be a new believer because he might uh, might become proud and the devil would would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him, so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. As an add on to this thought, he goes on to describe other leaders, other examples of publicly displaying their faith. Verse eight says, "In the same way, deacons must be well respected and have integrity." They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith, which now revealed, and must live with a clear conscience. Do you have a clear conscience? That list I just went through, is there anything in there that the Holy Spirit might be poking at and going, how did you treat your family this last week? What what words of encouragement? What words of blessing? Are are you leading well? Are are, Are you money conscious are you really concerned about everything about money are, are you maybe not drinking i don't think drinking would be an issue in this church but maybe the holy spirit saying is there is there some release be sleep be work even i, I know i know some friends that just they feel good if they're working like 60 hours a week i don't know why i just don't it's not my problem but um Anyway, is there something the Holy Spirit saying, this is out of balance? To get it, to be a Christian, you have a balanced life with Christ. He has everything. That's the balance. <laughs> so like I said, I don't think Paul was saying these men alone are set aside to have these qualities. I think he's saying, set aside those who get it, who understand it. Those who understand that this is not a Sunday deal. This is not a part to play. This is not a script that they have to follow. These people understand and show it with the fruit in their lives. And they are not selected by God as much as they selected God to be and Jesus to be the God, the only God of their lives. They get it. They understand. What about us here in Halsey? The beginning of 2024, are we get it? Do we have the reputation to those outside the church as people who are, are playing the part of church, who dress the way we dress because that's what the church standard says, because we're following some code of conduct that good Christians follow? Or do people see in our lives and in our conversations, our choice of jokes, our choice of meals, our choice of people who we hang out with, our fellowship, do they see in our lives that God is truly God of our life? We don't have another God. We have but one, Jesus. And we want to follow Him because He is God. Are we getting it? You know, I just... uh, I want to say that fits of anger and things. I, I just want to make a little small confession here. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're most comfortable at home, right? You know, things you wouldn't do in any place. In any place. So I came home last night, and I was tired. Was it last night or the night before? I don't know. I was tired. I came home from work. Stone cold outside, right? We've all been living through this lately. And my door was wide open. It was wide open. I was paying to heat all of Halsey. And I came through that door and I was not a pleasant man. I, I came there and I said, what is with the door? Who would leave the door open? Come on, guys, we're not heating the outside. 
Hi, Mrs. Cook, how are you doing? I <laughs> should have saw your car out there. <laughs> and uh, Prairie, Prairie was there. It was, uh, it was you know. Um, how you doing? <laughs> I was trying to be pleasant after that point. But yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know if I was a good example at that moment. The car was sitting there. I should have saw their car when I was walking up. Anyway, that secret sin, um, secret sin blocked the real testimony of David. And even a little, you should, you shouldn't. That Holy Spirit whisper in your life, you need to go talk to that brother. You, you need to, you need to say sorry for what you said last week. You need to, those little things, saying yes to those, the prompting of the Holy Spirit is what produces the fruit in our life. It, it keeps us from playing a part when we listen, when we listen. One thing I really want to make it clear, I'm just about to go into a small discussion here about fruit. Okay? I want to make this really painfully clear to everybody here because there's lots of things here to be condemned by. This should not be one of them. Think about how fruit is produced. If I were to go into an apple orchard, am I going to find a tree there going, pushing at an apple as hard as it can? Is it going to be pushing? Is it going to be straining? No, an apple tree bears apples. It's the responsibility and care of those caring for the apple tree to make sure the apple tree has everything it needs. Nutrients, light, water, everything. that. So I'm about to say, we need to look at our fruit. We need to check our life. We need to see what we have going on. But I'm not saying that we should try harder to be fruitful. But there is some things that we can try harder on, and that's what I do want to talk about. We have been blessed with the ability to participate in the growth of our lives. And I think it boils down to one essential element. One essential element. That's the secret I want to share today. There is one secret element to producing life, producing fruit. But I get ahead of myself, so I'll stop right there. Someone tell me, what does this list come from? Somebody, just this is audience anticipation. Where does this list come from? What is it describing? What is it talking about? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Self-control, gentleness. Where does that come from? Galatians. What's it describing? Through the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm not talking about playing the part. I'm not talking about making sure your fruit is good. What I'm saying is, is there good fruit? If there isn't, something's amiss. Something's amiss. Can I ask you this morning to take a walk through your own orchard, to look at your own tree, and judge the fruit? I saw an advertisement about a fruit tree once that had, uh, um, they they taken a tree from this and this and this, and they spliced it, and you've seen these things. I, I have trees in my front yard like that that have different, like four different varieties of plums and Asian pears and things. Really cool. But I saw a tree once that had apples and pears and plums and even had a peach on it. I mean, it was a amazing. It was in a magazine, so who knows how true it is. But it was. It, they advertised these things. Can you imagine the care and the effort it would take to put together something like that? You would have to. I don't know. I don't. I don't spline. Which, by the way, I found out is a word. I don't. I don't spline. I don't put the little stems in there and let it grow and nurture and put moss around it. No, I don't know any of that stuff. I've seen it done a couple times, but I, I don't know anything about it. But that, I do know one thing, it takes care. It's not something you just kind of throw an apple at a pear tree and it becomes a pear apple tree. It, it, it takes effort, right? We have all this type of fruit that comes from our lives. And some of them are a little bit different than others. They're, they're a different flavor. They're a different expression of fruit. And it takes care and effort from the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. I hope you heard that line. For us to produce better fruit, it takes care and effort, not of you, but of the Holy Spirit to make sure that happens. Take that tender shoot, splice it right where it is. You, you, can be, you could be a man that has self-control down, just like Jesus. You have total self-control in your life, and, and yet you yell and scream at your wife. That doesn't really match, does it? There's no really self-control in one part, if not all parts, if it's of God. If it's of God. 
You, you could be the, the queen of kindness. The queen of kindness. But if there's no joy in your life, then it's a different type of fruit tree. It's, a, it's not from the fruit tree that God provides that has all these different types of fruit on it. It is a different kind of producing, a different kind of fruit. This morning, have you asked God to help you see your orchard, your tree, before you came to church? Did you say, God, if there's anything I need to hear today, open my heart, open my hearing. If there's anything, God, I'm doing wrong, I want to hear about it. Sunday, great. Quiet times, please. I, just a casual conversation. Anyway, God, just please. I, I want to know. I don't want to be in that David and Nathaniel situation. God, please be speaking to me. That's, that's what I want. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. All of what I said this morning is to introduce you to a thought. That prayer, the story of David's failure, even finding fruit or no fruit in your life is not the point of what I want to talk to you about today. What an introduction. Page 9. And that's the introduction. But it's not what I want to talk to you about. Have you ever thought about this little verse? I'm going to share with you this little tiny verse in the middle of like one of the Gospels. Not even all of them. Just one. In the John Gospel, there's this little conversation that Jesus is having. It's just one line. It's just one line. But I submit to you this morning, it is the key to having good fruit. It is the key to being real versus just playing a part. One little line in a little backward part of John. One gospel. He says something. He says this. John chapter 10, 27. Write it down for later. I suggest you meditate on this verse in your quiet time. John 10, 27. He says something that we need to concentrate on today. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. How many times have you read that? But this morning I'm asking all of us, me too, do I hear him? Do I actually hear him? Do I hear his voice? Can I pick it out of a crowd? Did you know, this is fascinating. I just found it being a fresh grandpa. Jeremy, you can relate to this. Being a fresh grandpa, I found this fascinating, this little thing, this little fact. Babies begin to recognize their mother's voice as early as the third trimester of pregnancy. By the time they are born, they can easily recognize their mother's voice, her native language, the music that she's been listening to for the last 10 weeks of pregnancy. After they are born, listen to this. This fascinated me. After they are born, it is the mama's voice only, not even the daddy's. It's the mama's voice only that will slow their heart rate. They recognize out of all the voices in the room, the doctors, the nurses, the mom, the grandpa, the, the, the grandma, the, the, <laughs> I, meant, I meant to say grandparents, but out of all the excitement of a church holding a little baby, if that baby has any anxiety and, and they have a heart rate that's re- the only thing that will calm it down is the mama's voice. Because that's familiar. They know their, that voice. And that's not, that's not totally unique in God's creation. Did, I don't know if you've ever seen animal shows. I, I used to love these things. But did you know, if you've ever seen a seal pod, you know what a seal pod is? We're talking hundreds of barking, loud mouth seals, just screaming and hollering and just doing all of the. And mama comes out of the ocean after fishing. Out of the entire crowd, she can find her baby just by the voice. Not only that, the baby can find the mama. Out of all the barking, I don't know if you ever listened to them, but they are noisy critters. And they can find each other just by the sound of their voice. They, they found that um, kittens, if you play a, a, a speaker to kittens, and, and it's just random cat noises, they ignore them. But if it's of their mother's voice, they go to the speaker. Ducks are the same way. Ducks and cats don't have anything to do with each other other than the same creator. We, we are programmed to know a voice and go to it. Behold, what marvelous love it is that we are children of God. 
If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been born again, do you know the voice of your Father? Can we hear it? If you can't, I'm not condemning you. This world is so loud, and our thoughts are so loud, and our temptations are so loud, and the devil tries to make sure that we are distracted in every way we can. If you haven't heard the voice of God, I'm not here to condemn you. But I am here to tell you, it is critical that you try. You need to see this as an essential part of your Christian life, is to hear the voice of God. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. When was the last time you let God correct or affirm you? He can do both. I was reminded on Thursday night, uh, we had some friends over and we were talking. I was reminded on Thursday night about a moment that happened in the other building in this congregation. I had it all planned out. When My wife and I, we didn't talk about how many children we were going to have. And, and, uh, and so when we got married, I, I just assumed that she would agree with me that we would have you know, Richard and Catherine. It was just, we just have two. Yeah, names not accepted. <laughs> Put it that way. Uh, and two children? She wanted a large family. Okay, three. Three children. That's, that's a large family. That's, that's big. Come on, 2.9 or 2.5 or whatever it is, 1.3 or whatever it is now in America. Three children is a lot. Okay, honey, I'll give you four. That's it. I want, that's, we're cutting it off at that point. Four children, that will be it. And, and I have my reasons. And just to be real to you guys, I, the reasons were I wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to afford them. We wouldn't be able to parent them correctly. And what if, please don't condemn me, but what if it's kind of a gamble? The more children you have, the more chance you're going to have a special needs child. And, you know, at some point I want to be with my wife in retirement. And, you know, special needs are great and everything. I understand they're more loving. And, um, but this, this is a lifelong commitment. And, oh, yeah, I'm a terrible man. So, so I had all these reasons. And I thought God was behind this plan, right? We can't parent more than four children. You just can't, right? That's just, there's just too much being pulled away from this child to this child to this child. You just can't do it. There's a God was behind that plan. It was worthy of God's wisdom. It made total sense to me. And I sat in a congregation in the other building as Randy was preaching. And he was talking, custodian, police officer at the time. Um, and, and he was talking about how God came through when they ran out of money. How God came through when they ran out of money. How God came through when they didn't, they were at wit's end about what's going to happen. Children, let's pray. And then something showed up. Groceries at the door or, or somebody gave them money or just, um, and just the, the, the faith building activity of living in faith with the number of children. And, and I, at some point in that sermon, I, I just like wrote down on a piece of note. I said, yes, Lord. And I handed it to my wife. Defeated. <laughs> you know, apparently, four children is not a big family. Apparently, I need to have some more. And, and then you know the rest of the story. There, there's actually a really beautiful story that happened with the next two. I think it was two was um, miscarriages because of, I believe, hidden sin in my life. Um, but, but anyway, we got Bethany. Bethany Promise. That's why her middle name is Promise, because God is faithful. God is faithful. Um, that is such a rabbit trail. All I'm saying is that we need to be in that place where God can say, I need to change that. Are you listening? Are you listening? My sheep hear my voice. Hey. There's a way that seems right to a man, good enough of a verse to have a whole sermon onto itself. But for now, remember, we as believers are not condemned to follow the way that sounds right to a man. Because we are in a position, in a relationship, that my sheep hear my voice. We're in that relationship with God the Father. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. That's not some preacher talking. That's not some politician or king talking. That's Jesus, the Lord of all, talking. He says, my sheep, hear me. And we need to stop here, lest anyone get discouraged at this point. I, I, I've said it before. 
If you say, I've never heard a voice like that, what he's talking about. Maybe I should ask for, for everybody to raise their hands to say that that's the case. I, I can tell you in my life, I have physically heard the Lord once, and it was not in a good moment. Physically heard, but I can tell you how many times, I can't tell you how many times I've heard God's just whisper this way, that way, don't do that, confess that. And, how, and I cannot tell you how many times I've said no. God is more faithful than we could ever, ever imagine. But when I said no, I was not in a relationship that says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is key to our Christian life. All of that. And I'm not talking about those moments of the still small voice. If, and I'm not asking you to do this, if we were to turn to 1 Kings chapter 10 and read that story about Elijah going through the mountainside experience. Remember that? Everybody kind of quotes that. God speaks to us in the still small voice. Read it in context. That is not what it's talking about. <laughs> it's talking about something complete, a neat lesson. Not what he's talking about because before that, God talks to him and he says, okay, I'll go to that mountain like you just told me to do. He's in a conversation with God. He can hear him loud and clear. There's no small, still small voice in that moment. Then God demonstrates all these powerful things and he speaks to him in a whisper. That's neat. But, but there's this conversation. And I'm not talking about that still small voice, but I am talking about Elijah's willingness to hear from God. God says, go do something weird. Go, li- go live in a cave for a while. And he does it. His willingness to obey. That set him apart. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So I'm not saying if you've not heard his voice and you're still lost in your sins. What I am saying is that you need to be ready. And in that readiness, you will hear because his desire is to be heard. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep. He claims ownership. Of us. Think about that for a moment. He, Almighty God claims ownership of us. My sheep. Says this. My voice. You can't hear what doesn't exist. Those people who say that there is no God. How can they possibly say that? He speaks. He speaks through his people. He speaks through his word, praise God. He speaks through the experiences and answers of prayers. He speaks. And if he's speaking, are we hearing? Are we hearing? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. This is one of the greatest things I was thinking about this verse. He's not talking about some nonsense theology. He's not talking about fluff to keep you busy. God has specific things for you to hear. He has things in your life that he wants to encourage. He has things that he wants to make sure you never do again. He wants things in your life that he wants to say, I don't condemn you, but I condemn what you just did. Don't ever do that again. Come before me. He he has things to say that are important to you. And they follow me. See, that's the part of the fruit growth that we can do. Every time I said in the past, no to the Holy Spirit telling me to do something, there was part of my relationship with God that died. I don't know the theology of that. I can't go into that. I don't know at what point I'm turned over to a retrobate mind. I don't, what we kind of talked about this morning. I, I don't, I, I don't know where that line is. And quite frankly, I don't want to know where that is. It's too scary of a line. But I can tell you this, that every time I said no to the Holy Spirit, part of me that could hear him faded away. And every time I said yes, my faith was built. And they follow me. We can do that. That's the sort of relationship building stuff that produces all that fruit in our lives. If you want that fruit, don't strain at growing fruit. Strain at listening. What was that? What did you say? For a moment, let's talk about the things what we can do to foster this. If you feel like you have never heard a conversation with God or heard his voice or, or, or like what we were talking about this morning, don't feel condemned. You're here this morning for a reason. This is your all home moment, all home moment right now. 
You're here because you know that God wants to talk to you. God's setting you up so that you can hear. But how do we get to know his voice? Let's get practical. You know God's voice by his cadence. You know him by what he says. You know him by the way he says it. You know him by the way that he doesn't contradict himself. You, 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 know, you know things about him. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all of the Old Testament, and if you want to argue with me, you do it after I leave the pulpit, all the Old Testament is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Awesome verse. Of the New Testament... We have these men who were anointed of God and given the authority to preach. And they wrote down what he was given, what they were told to write. And if you don't think the Holy Spirit was involved in that, uh, then we have another discussion to have. Because the Holy Spirit wanted to make sure that these men who God gave authority to speak were speaking correctly. Even the history of Acts, even the history that we get little bits and snips of in the letters, those things are something that the Holy Spirit wanted to preserve for some reason for us to hear. His words, his teaching in the New Testament are foundational to our growth and to our knowledge of his voice. Literally. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Go ahead and turn to there. It's important for you to catch. That's why I'm having you turn to it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19, says this, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the, with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. God gave them the authority, and remember what the word apostle means. Anybody? What's apostle mean? What? Special messenger. It also means sent. Sent. So these were sent ones. These are messengers of God. The foundation of our faith is right here. It is, it is the written word of the apostles, the authority that God gave them. Here it is in Ephesians. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the authority Jesus gave them, etc. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for dwelling place of God in the Spirit. What? Oh, that's, that's another sermon unto itself that I'm not going to go to. But I will say this, that the apostles prayed and the Holy Spirit made sure that the, it was a proper foundation. God's building his house. Do you think he's going to make a faulty instruction manual for that foundation? It, this, is, this is inspired word. This is God's word. This is how we get to know his voice. The time we spend reading this, the time we get meditating, memorizing, thinking about, dwelling on, etc. That's why we so stress it. I'm going to try this. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't because of the time, but um, yeah, I'm not going to. I have a section out of an article that I was going to read to you guys. I was going to try to do the best voice I can. When I read writings of certain men who I've listened to frequently, all I can do is hear their voice saying it. I have a section here about Hudson Taylor that was written by Dennis, uh, uh, Denny Kennison, and it sounds like Denny Kennison in my mind. I hear his pause, I hear his scream, I hear his brother, I hear all of that in this, in all this little section about Hudson Taylor, and I wish I could read to you. We just don't have time. But, um, but trust me, when you, when you know Denny, when you hear Denny, when you've listened to Denny, you know Denny when you're reading it. Uh, uh, there's a commentator, I can't stand his gravelly voice, but I actually like what he had to say. Vernon something. Uh, but same thing with him. He had such a Texas draw that when he, when he wrote, you heard his Texas draw. It was amazing. Uh, anyway, if you get to know his voice regularly through the Bible, reading through meditation, on listening to sermons and godly men, um, if you set your mind on his spirit and praying and listening, then you get a chance to know his cadence, his tone, his voice. And you can discern it from your own flesh and discern it from the world. Uh, I found this quote when I was looking for Kenneth, and I found this quote from another fellow. It is very important that we be teachable and yielded to the Lord. Stubbornness will prolong 
our preparation time. And we do not want to spend two-thirds of our life preparing uh, if we don't have to. And I don't think anybody would know that that was Moses, but Moses said that. Uh, he was talking about the life of Moses. But I, I think if we're stubborn to the Lord, we don't want to respond to the Lord, then we're wasting time. We've given enough time to waste. Listen to the Lord. And here's a motivation to want to listen to the Holy Spirit as if you need anything more from what I had to say this morning. I overheard this comment from a professor talking to his soon-to-graduate class. And I believe it is straight from the Holy Spirit. Okay? So you get the idea. This professor's talking to his, his group. They're about to push off. They're about to go on elsewhere. And he, and he says this, But when the Father sends the Advocate, that is my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything. He will remind you of everything I told you. For those just barely listening, obviously the professor is Jesus. <laughs> Obviously, the class that's about to graduate were the apostles. He was about to leave, and he's saying, I'm leaving, I'm giving you a Holy Spirit, and he's not going to only remind you of the things I had to say, but he's going to teach you. He's going to reveal. That's part of listening. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Isn't that like the best of circle reasoning? The more I listen to the Holy Spirit, the more he teaches me how to hear. The more I listen, the more I hear the more I learn how to hear. My, my goal today is that you know that it is a normal part of our life with Him, with God, that we hear His voice. That we have growth shows that there is life-giving words, life-giving corrections going on in us. The fact that the fruit is or is not in our life is the outward sign of having a relationship with God Jesus said, apart from him, we can do nothing. I don't want to say better said, because who could ever say anything better than Jesus? But I'll say it this way. Better understood is this. Apart from him, we can actually do many things. But none of them are eternal. None of them are lasting. None of them are propagating. None of them will have any real fruit that is an evidence of a real God. You can play the part well this morning. You can have hidden sin like David and play the part well. You can have kindness going really well in your life. Be the kindest person anybody ever knows. But if you have deception in your life, if you have, if you have anger in your life, if you have unresolved issues and forgiveness issues, no forgiveness in your life, you can't forgive your grandma. can't forgive your sister. You can't forgive your brother. You can't forgive that guy on the street that did. If you have no forgiveness, you can still be kind, but you don't have that wonderful tree that God is trying to prepare and create in you of multiple kinds of fruit. And I, and I just want to say, it says the fruit of the Spirit. So all of those elements are in one fruit. They're not, they're not multiple fruits. But for the point of what I'm trying to say now is God's trying to craft all these parts of that fruit in your life. And the only way that's going to happen is if we, if we truly allow Him to speak. I don't have time to talk about the other benefits of hearing His voice, that of encouragement. It's not, it's not only at the end of our life that we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If you look at the story of Jesus talking to his apostles, talking to some people, uh, Zacchaeus, for example, there are some encouragements that he gives just by being Jesus, just by being in a position where you can hear his voice, you can be encouraged in your faith as well. Not just challenged in your sin, but you can be encouraged in your faith just by listening to his voice. You know, you don't want to be like those other sheep that have all gone astray. You want to be that sheep that hears his voice and follows, follows. Jesus demonstrates correction while here on earth, but he also the understanding of our, our faults and he gave encouragement to follow. But we hear not because we get so filled with the things of this world, like the good seed choked out by the cares of this world. We close our ears or have them closed and fail to see this relationship that we, that we are called to, this, this part of the relationship, that's a fundamental matter of hearing and obeying. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, 
and they follow me. And I want to say this too before I, I'm just about to conclude. I'm shocked. Wow, five minutes. I'm shocked. Okay. I also want to say this. There's another way that we can block this hearing. Not just saying no. You hear the Spirit say that and you say no and then you kind of get deaf because, he, because he's a gentleman. He doesn't want to yell and scream. He'll, he'll ask. He'll, he'll tell you he, this is the way to go. He'll give his voice to us. And if we decide not to listen, I think I covered that. I think you understand that. If you say no frequently enough, you will grow deaf. It's not that he doesn't stop talking, but you'll grow deaf. But there is come there does come a time that he stops talking. A scary moment. It says that if we if I regard sin in my life, if I'm toying around with sin in my life, if I'm allowing that to be a par- practical part of my life on a daily basis, he says he won't hear my prayer. Can I submit to you today that that's another way of turning that around? He's not going to be talking to you. You've made your choice. Now, he's patient, he's loving, and he's forgiving. And if, and if you have habitual sin in your life this morning, it's not all over. God's still talking. God's still saying, follow me. I want you to be my sheep. I want you to follow me. I want you because I still know you. Okay, I want to I leave you with this thought, and then I'll be done. I want to leave you with this thought. That little story in John, when he says, my sheep, hear my voice, he goes on. He says this, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. What happens to those who don't hear? Father, more than anything, I want you more real in my life. If there was a way I could touch you, I would strain for that. If there was a way I could see you, I would strain for that. And I'm sure that there's other things about that, that that's true, and I, and I could see you in one way or another. But one thing I know, Lord, for sure, is you said that you have a voice. You've said I have a choice to listen. You said that I follow you. If I'm in right relationship, Lord, all those things are happening Thank you, God, from the bottom of my heart for calling me your sheep. Thank you for having a voice and wanting to talk to your wayward sheep. Lord, help me to hear all those little things throughout the day that you want me to say, do, stop, repent of, start in, whatever disciplines, Lord, you you may call me to. Lord, I want to hear your voice. And more than anything, God, I want to follow you. I want to say yes. Lord, I've said many things here this morning. But I think the one overriding thing is your people hear your voice. Help us to want that. If we don't have it, help us to want it. Help us desire it, to pray for it, to ask for it. And I know that you're thankful and I know that you're faithful and that you will give us, Lord, your voice. So in the name of Jesus, Lord, I I pray. Amen.